Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this batch video for the web novel Out of Space taken from the website Royal Road. And as always I hope you enjoy the narration and if you do please consider supporting the channel. Chapter 381 Unexpected Command Northern Front Outskirts of Foliage Mage flames flickered wildly in the wind as a massive wounded dragon slammed into the ground and dug furrows across the terrain. Bangs of rifles and screams echoed out constantly as pockets of SDF continued their resistance against the Order of Shadows. SDF Corporal Bock was nursing a bleeding head wound caused by a glancing blow from a sword. He had repaid the attacker with a blast of rifle fire to the face. He glanced around the surroundings, seeing a few brave souls being besieged by several armored knights. Ignoring his head wound and the stinging pain of his wounded shoulder, he leapt forward at the back of the unsuspecting knight and rammed his sword bayonet into the back of the knight. The tempered steel with the full weight of Bok easily punched through the blade mail and Imperial, making the Imperial Arcus back in agony. Bok tried to yank his bayonet out but was stuck so he squeezed the trigger and blew a fist-sized chunk of gusts and flesh out the Imperial Knight before he managed to retrieve his bayonet. With a sudden appearance, the tides were turned but less than half the SDF soldiers survived against the fall of the knights. Bok looked around and gestured towards the distant city walls. Fall back, the lines overrun. Gather all spare ammo and weapons. Bok ordered, as he noticed he was the only senior NCO there. Hurry! The seven remaining soldiers quickly grabbed ammo and weapons from the dead and crawled out of the firing pit. They crouched low and ran across the battlefield, dodging bolts and spells and trace of fire. Run! Hey! Someone yelled from ahead of them as they waved them to cover. Bok quickly led the SDF remnants towards the waving figures and they dropped down into another line of trenches. Bok found that there was another small group of FDF soldiers hurtled along with the trench walls. What are you guys doing here? One of the soldiers who waved them over asked. You could get shot by the machine guns. Which unit are you all from? Bok asked. He noted the SDF soldier with a lance corporal. His uniform was covered in mud and they looked like they had experienced some heavy fighting. When with the 4th company? The 4th? The lance corporal frowned. This is the 8th. Shouldn't you guys be at the front? The front is broken, one of the survivors of the 4th Company said. We got overrun and the officers ran, fought back as much as we could, and I think that we're only ones left. Bok noticed that the fighting position was just an owl-shaped trench without any tunnels or passages linking to other trench lines, and he gestured with his head to the speaker. Who's in charge? The Lance Corporal looked around before he turned back to Bok. I guess you're the boss now. Our Sarge ate a magic missile earlier when the Imperials attacked and, uh, our TM went back to command post for orders. You mean your officer ran too? Bok shook his head. How many of you are there? Two squads, the Lance Corporal replied. Twenty men. Okay, that means we got a total of twenty-eight, yeah? Block stuck his head out of the trench and looked around. What's your name? Talix, the Lance Corporal said. And we also got a machine gun. Bok nodded. Any other NCOs? Tannik shook his head. I'm the only LCP here. Bok sighed inwardly as he looked at the expectant gazes by the men surrounding him in the fighting position. Alright, we need to link up with another unit if possible. If not, we need to support the city gate defenses. The knights had moved on towards the city gates, Bok said. Their position was now just south of the city gates, half a kilometer away at the edge of the imperial thrust of the city. 
No point either to stay here or move towards the east. Some of the men grumbled amongst themselves. Do we need to? We just escaped death. Why did you sign on then? Bok growled. Did you not take a coin to fight for the city, protect your land and your families? We got no families or land here. Someone yelled and quickly paused when Bok cocked his rifle at the dissenter. One more word about running away. Bok's eyes glistened dangerously in the flickering flames and said, And I'll kill you. Yes, Corporal. The dissenter nodded frantically. You took the oath to defend this land, Bok growled loudly so that everyone could hear. You took the gold, and your brother in arms had died and bled for it. Now you want to turn coward. He glared at each and every one of the soldiers, most of them unable to meet his eyes. Do you not fear the souls who condemn you for your cowardly actions? How could you sleep at night knowing that you abandoned the rest of your brothers here? We're not cowards, Tarek suddenly shouted, surprising the rest, even Bok. He snapped the shoulder of the soldier next to him and urged him then, Not cowards! One by one the soldiers rallied the cry. Not cowards! Good! Bok gave a slight nod to Tarek for his help. How far to the next unit's trench? They should be about a hundred meters away to our left, Tarek said while pointing in the darkness. You and you! Bok poked up more solid-looking soldiers and ordered, Get the other trench to see if there's an officer there. If not, tell them to join us here. Yes, Corporal. The two soldiers gave a salute and climbed out of the trench before they disappeared into the dark. The rest of you, check your ammo and gear, Bok ordered. Think they might run? Bok offhandedly asked Tanix in a low voice. Tanix gave a shrug and he opened and closed his pouches of his webbing. Hard to tell. Everyone is frightened. Some of us are never even seen blood before till today. Tarek's gestured to the rest who were checking their equipment. They're all cutthroats, orphans, beggars, and even kids of grand delusions of glory. But they are not cowards, just leaderless. Mark raised an eyebrow at the Lance Corporal's words. Why didn't you take over command? Me? Tarek laughed. I'm just a lowly Lance Corporal. I know nothing of command. You held them together while your officer ran. Mark retorted back. Tarek gave another shrug and rebuttoned his pouches. It's safer for me if there are more people around me. Bok shook his head and didn't continue to press Tanix for his reasons. All right, help me gather the men. We wait for the two to return. If they do not come back, then we move out of here. Tanix nodded and squeezed past the soldiers and started calling the men to gather up. Bok turned his attention out to the trench. He could clearly see the lights of the city walls and gate. Traces and sparkling trails of spells flew at each other along the walls and gates. Suddenly there was a scrape and the troops on watch swung their rifles over to the cover of sound. Buck also jerked up and aimed his rifle in the direction of the noise. Friendly, friendly, a voice came over the trenches. It's us. Hold your fire, Buck ordered quickly. Come out. Several figures appeared out of the darkness and they quickly slipped down the trenches. The two soldiers sent to find help reported back. Corporal, we only found five men at the other positions. One of the newcomers was a lance corporal. He came before Buck and said, Corporal, reporting for detail with five men. Where is the rest? Buck asked as he eyed the newcomers. Reporting to Corporal, they ran. The new lance corporal stood there at attention as he replied. Buck raised an eyebrow to Tanix, who was smirking away the rest of the uptight newcomer. At ease, lance corporal, your name. This lance corporal's name is Avin, corporal. The Lance Corporal, together with his men, adopted a parade rest stance. SDF 7th Company, 2nd Platoon. Bok nodded and said, Relax, we're not in training anymore. 
Yes, Corporal. Avin and the four others continued to remain at the parade rest position without moving. Box sighed inwardly again, wondering what kind of weirdos did he pick up. Since now he had a total of 32 men, Daleks and Avin, each of you take nine men each. We form up three squads. We have three men and machine gun teams. You two Lance Corporals nodded. We will push towards the gates. Staying out here means that we will be cut off from the Imperials sooner or later. If we encounter any Imperials, we'll only fight if we can surprise the Imperials. If not, avoid combat unless you really need to. No point in wasting lives for nothing. Understand? Both Lance Corporals and the nearby men listening in nodded. Good. Form up your squads and brief them. We move out in 15 minutes. Block eyed the nervous men and gave them an assuring smile as they all formed up and ready to make their way towards the city under siege. Attach bayonets. A series of shings came down the line as the SDF soldiers drew the sword bayonets out and, with a click, locked their bayonets to their rifles. Move out. The soldiers quietly climbed over the side of the trench and advanced in a single line towards the city under siege. They had to cover of a kilometer of pitted, churned land. They climbed over barbed wires, abandoned fighting positions, and the dead. The block pointed in the back where he could see a large group of silhouetted against the frames and glows of spells and parachute flares. Imperials! The soldiers instinctively bent downwards as they advanced closer to the enemy. A sudden burst of light erupted amongst the Imperials as a fiery fireball of flames was tossed into the air, flying off like a meteor towards the city walls. Majors and siege weapons, Bok hissed to the men who passed a word down the line. We'll attack them. Bok stopped in a line just before the edge of the glowing light of the torches. Over thirty pairs of black powder rifles were raised up and Bok chopped his hand down. The sudden charge of rifle fire from the rear caught the siege weapon crew off guard, killing half the crew from just the first volley. Charge! The men cried out, all of their pent-up fear and anger as the Imperials as they charged. The shaken Imperial siege crew barely recovered from the sudden attack turned to see the line of savage-looking men appearing out of the darkness like some kind of crazed demons. Most of the Imperials ran, while those that remained behind were stuck down by cold steel. Even the couple knights that guarded the siege weapons were barely fed any better at box soul machine gun mowed down their magic barriers till they burst and made the knights do a little lead dance. Make line, make line, Bok yelled at his eager men. Hold, hold. Avin and Talix both reined in their men and they stopped the bloodthirsty charge at the fleeing Imperials and formed up into a clumsy line. Take aim, rifles raised up and pointed to the fleeing backs of the Imperials. Fire! Thunder and flames stabbed into the night and their view partially blocked by the dirty gun smoke. Bok grinned, feeling the adrenaline rush. Good work. Burn those two siege engines, Bok quickly ordered. Then let's get the hell out of here before they come back with reinforcements. Minutes later, the siege catapults fueled by its own incendiaries burst into flames and Bok and his ad hoc platoon vanished into the darkness before the Imperials returned. End of chapter chapter 382 article 99 un city of foliage sdf camp parade grounds parade attention the sdf regiment sergeant major roared out hundreds of boots stomped down as the gathered sdf troops stood to attention over 2,000 soldiers gathered at the sdf camp's parade square in the morning save for those on duty 
The four-age SDF commander walked stiffly to the podium, sat on the stage and cleared his throat, while constantly throwing nervous glances to the black-clad soldiers on the other side of the stage. <coughs> the SDF commander cleared his throat again and tapped on the microphone before addressing the gathered troops. Men of the SDF, Barledge Regiment, you have performed well and bravely in the defense of our city. A day ago, the evil Imperial forces attempted to breach our city walls. The SDF commander spoke in a dramatic way. But with your bravery and courage, you withstood the enemy attack and held the city. The commander clapped his hands to congratulate the troops, but his applause quickly ended, as only a handful of officers applauded with him. The atmosphere turned awkward as he looked over the silent troops at attention before him. Um, I also want to say... At this time, a black-clad officer strolled over to the stage and took over the podium. All right, you want your commander wants to say yes, good job and keep it up. Now to more serious business. The black-clad officer ignored the embarrassed commander who stood to the side of the newcomer. As you know, or no, it is close one that night. We could have done better, lost fewer men to the enemy. The black-clad officer continued, But uh, due to some people's selfishness, we had lost brothers to the enemy that their deaths could be prevented, if not for some people. I am First Lieutenant Tavar. The officer, clad in black trench coat, said, I run the intelligence division and temporarily assigned to weed out the bad. He turned and gestured to his men at the side, and a short while later, a row of people in orange prisoner wear appeared on the stage, and the black-clad guards forced him to kneel in a row. A low growl came from the soldiers after seeing the appearance of the sage. Behind me, David jerked his thumb back, are those officers who should be standing shoulder to shoulder with you on the front lines. They are the officers who should be leading you to victory, Tabor continued. They are the officers who should be giving you commands and looking after your welfare, Tabor said. Some of them are your brothers in arms, yet they too ran when asked to face the enemy. These men have betrayed your trust by running away in the face of the enemy. Tabor growled. These men had abandoned their duties and their oath to you and the United Nations. Under the United Nation Code 899, Article 99, misbehavior before the enemy, Tavor spoke in a solemn voice, any member of the armed forces who, before the presence of the enemy, one, runs away, two, shamefully abandons, surrenders, or delivers up any command, unit, place, or military property, which is his duty to defend. Three, through disobedience, neglect, or intentional misconduct endangers the safety of any such command, unit, place, or military property. Four, casts away his arms or ammunition. Five, is guilty of cowardly conduct. Six, quits his place of duty to plunder or pillage. Seven, causes false alarms in any command, unit, place, or under commands of forces. Eight, willfully fails to do his utmost to encounter, engage, capture, or destroy any enemy troops, combatants, vessels, aircraft, or any other thing, which is his duty to encounter, engage, capture, or destroy, or... Nine, does not afford all practical relief and assistance to any troops, combatants, vessels, or aircrafts of armed forces belonging to the United Nations or their allies when engaging in battle, shall be punished by death or such other punishment as the court-martial may direct. Tabor finished reciting the military law. Of these nine laws, Tabor turned and glanced at the kneeling men. 
After careful investigation and eyewitness reports, these men are guilty of seven listed of the Article 99. Tevar slammed his fist on the podium for effect. Under wartime, executive orders granted by the highest-ranking officer in the United Nations, I hereby sentence you all to death by firing squad for your cowardice in the face of the enemy. The kneeling men hearing their death sentence being declared trembled in fear and started pleading for leniency. Tevar ignored their pleas and cries and turned back to the face of the soldiers on the parade ground. Let this be a lesson to you all. Tevar gestured at his side again, and this time a troop of SDF soldiers in battle gear marched up neatly to the stage. The SDF regimental major marched along with them and said, Squad, halt! Squad, face left! The squad turned and faced the condemned men. Squad, ready arms! Take aim! The sergeant major barked. No! Please, I don't want to die! Money! I've got money! Fire! The detail of twelve randomly selected soldiers fired their rifles at the twelve needing ex-officers, and they screamed as they got shot. Squad! Shoulder arms! Tavar strolled over to the slum bodies and pulled out a newly issued forty-five pistol and finished in a matte black paint. He dropped the magazine and did a quick check before he snapped the magazine back, and half pulled the pistol slide to check to see if there was a round chambered in. Once he was satisfied, he thumbed the safety off and stood before the first body and fired a single shot into the head before he walked over to the next body and repeated his actions. Bam! 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 He fired ten times before pausing to reload at the eleventh body, who was still struggling for life on the floor. The condemned laid gasping for breath, pleading with his eyes at Tavor, who coldly snapped a fresh magazine and squeezed off a shot between his eyes before moving to the next body. Once the deed was done, he gestured to the men to carry the bodies off stage and stood there watching as his hands clasped behind his back. Bring the next group! Another group of twelve condemned soldiers was brought out to the stage and the execution was repeated. Finally, finish off the fourth group of deserters, Tamar returned to the podium and addressed the soldiers who were fully alert and shocked by the sudden event. Now, this nasty business is over. I hope... That, like what your commander had said earlier, that you will continue to bravely and courageously fight the enemy. Tevar said, I do not wish to see you here with me wasting a bullet. Is that clear, gentlemen? Tevar asked. Sir, yes, sir. The troops on the parade ground answered as one. Tevar gave it a pleased nod before he turned to look towards the VIP viewing stand at the side. He threw a salute at the pudgy city governor watching there with the other VIPs before he patted the SDF commander's shoulder and walked off the stage with his men. The commander wiped the sweat off the peacap and tugged his collar before he stood over the podium. Ahem, <clears throat> like the, the commander was saying, he said, Please do not run from the enemy and abandon your men. Now, I would like to give out rewards for outstanding personnel for their acts of valor. The commander licked his lips nervously. He turned to the regimental sergeant major, who looked at the list of button pocket. SDF Foliage, Regiment, 2nd Company, 2nd Squad, Private Menak. The RSM roared out, front and center. The private stopped out of formation and did a quick march over to the stage and stood before the regimental commander, who read out a short telling of his exploits. Private Manek single-handedly managed to offer a troop of twenty Imperials with a machine gun and grenades when all of his squad mates were disabled. For his act of valor, he will gain the Silver Star and are promoted to Lance Corporal. 
the commander declared. The troops on the parade ground burst into a loud applause of cheering, surprising the commander who gingerly joined them. Next, SDF 4H Regiment, 4th Company, 3rd Squad, Corporal Bock. The RSM called out next, front and center. Bock was surprised that he was called. The men around him immediately broke out into a cheer as they heard of his actions in destroying some of the enemy's siege weapons and leading a scattered group of troops together and helped fend off the Imperials heroically. He quick-marched over to the stage and stood before the commander, who took out a small red box and held a silver star medal. Bok saluted the commander and stared over his shoulder at the Brothers of Blood, already turning black and sticky on the stage. UN City of Forledge, SDF Camp Parade Grounds, VIP Stand. Etero, governor of Forledge, watched the ongoing execution with a slight distaste on his face. He visibly jerked each time the black-clad intel officer fired his weapon, and he felt a shudder of iciness down his spine when the execution ended and the intel officer threw him in a mocking salute on the stage. Uh, are you humans all like him? Etero asked in a low voice to the UN military attaché next to him. Marine Lieutenant Collins gave a small shake of his head. Not really. But uh, this military discipline, Collins said, I'm sure even in armies other kingdoms have similar punishments. Etero sighed, knowing that that was the truth. He covered his nose with his handkerchief and asked, But do we need to attend such a bloody event? Collins nodded and cast a side glance to the rest of the invited VIPs, which consisted of the local prominent merchants and residents. Some of them were showing excited expressions of seeing blood, while others paled and frightened. It's to show the people and the troops that we take our duties seriously, Collins explained. The law is the law. No one is above the law. You break it, you pay for it. Edro followed Collins and threw a glance at the side of the rest of the audience in the VIP stand and shrewdly said, and also to warn people off from doing what they shouldn't be doing, right? Collins grinned. Of course. Well, I guess it does make my business of governance easier if the nobles... <clears throat> Ex-nobles and merchants behave. Etero smiled. Hopefully, with this act, could scare them more into submission. Collins gave a sneer as he took another look at the richly dressed audience. Some of them still think this is a joke. They'll happily switch sides to the Empire if they feel our weakness. Etero frowned. Will the UN win this war? This war? Collins returned his attention to the stage in which they were giving out rewards and promotions. No, this war is unwinnable for both sides. Etero, too, nodded as he came to the same conclusion long before. The Empire was just too massive to swallow with just a couple cities of population and the UN. He just wanted to hear the confirmation from the short-eared human. But we will never lose the battle, Collins grinned. As long as those boys below hold their ground, the Imperials will break their teeth trying to eat us. Etero nodded again. He knew that the human was right based on the results of the past battles and weapons. Is this also why you humans stage all these to the troops? Hmm, Collins rubbed his chin and pondered the question. I would not say it's staged. Military discipline, as I said before, must be held, especially in times of war. Now that they know we care and recognize the effects of each soldier down to the lowest ranker, Collins rephrased the words Captain Blake briefed him in regards to the plans of the SDF. They will have a sense of belonging or brotherhood of warriors. This is how we shall grow the soldiers to have a sense of loyalty and patriotism to the nation. End of chapter. Chapter 383. Downfall. First Imperial Army, Order of the Shadows Camp. 
Muffled screams came from inside the tent in the middle of the camp. The guards ignored the screams as much as they could while the others kept away from the tent. Thus, wearing his signature, featureless helm paused just before the tent's entrance as another cry rang out. He ducked his head into the tent and found the Joker with the beads of sweat rolling down his half-naked body. The Joker held a whip in his hand as he brought it down on the naked cowering beast slave's back, making the girl scream in pain. Lord General Kotar is yet to send any new orders, Thos said. It is highly strange, while the General is not someone who neglects to inform us of situations. The Joker took a pause and threw the blood-soaked whip to the side. He picked up a towel and wiped the sweat off his face and body before he turned to Thos. No word from the General. No, even our men have yet to return, Thos replied. Strange indeed, the Joker sat down and took a swill off the flagon of wine off the table. Our scouts? Nothing from them, Thost replied again, other than the new forces of rebel soldiers that came to reinforce the city the other day. There is no new movement from the rebels. Hearing the news, the Joker's eyes darkened. Damn, those reinforcements. If not for them, we would be dining and sleeping inside the city by now. These are new troops seem to be these uh, barbarian soldiers we heard so much of, Thost said. They are rumored to be fierce and highly trained. If they came to reinforce the city, Thos Helm tilted to one side, we might find it harder to breach their defenses. Huh, <laughs> the Joker spat to the side. They are just wild people and peasant scum. How can they be compared to us knights? You seem to have forgotten about the thunder weapons, Thos gave a reminder. Those barbarian troops seem to carry a more powerful version of the thunder weapons. The Joker's expression changed as he stood up suddenly and paced angrily around the table before he stopped next to the whimpering beast slave and kicked her. Stop your crying. The beast girl covered her mouth with her hands and stifled the tears of pain while the Joker turned back to Thos. Double the guards and have our scouts report in every half a turn of the glass tonight. Tell the men that we'll move out in the first and make a new camp, the Joker ordered. Send more men to the General Cota to find out what is happening on his side. Yes, my lord. Thos gave a bow and retreated out of the tent. The Joker sat down again in his mood sour. Once the general joins us, I shall paint the walls with their blood. Lance Corporal Wolf of the 101st Arcane Tactics and Intervention, Team Claymore 1, turned as still as stone as he hugged the shadow of the tree that he was next to when a trio of patrolling Imperials came within a hand's reach of his position. He immediately held his breath and prayed to the guards for the Imperials not to spot him. He slowly released his held breath once the three Imperial soldiers passed by his position without any clue of his presence. Wolf waited for the glow of the torches to disappear into the darkness before he crawled his way across the bush trail used by the Imperial sentries. Four to three, hold position. Wolf immediately froze as he followed the command. Four to three, there are a pair of sentries to your left, ten meters away. His radio whispered into his ear. Wolf slowly moved his head and tried to spot the sentries in the dark, but he couldn't see anything with his night vision goggles. Move ten steps to your right. He followed the orders and carefully stepped ten steps to his right and paused, waiting for the next order. Move forward and keep three to your left. It should cover you from the sentries. Should? Wolf whispered back as his reply. Yes, should, came back the reply. Now move. Wolf sighed as he mumbled to himself. You're not the one whose rear is hanging out here. He crept forward to the tree before him, making sure to use the tree trunk to block the view from the sentries. He peered at the edge of the foliage and broke into a grin. Three to one. 
One send, three, I got an eyeball on the enemy camp. Wolf reported back at his sighting as he slipped off the night vision and used a pair of binoculars to view the campsite hidden in the forest. Counting at least twenty tents, over. Wolf continued to sweep his binos across the campsite, hiding amongst the trees and under the quick canopy. He caught glimpses of tents lit by torches and shadows of men. Three to one, estimate, a thousand or two imperials. One, Roger, stand by. Wolf crouched lower and made himself comfortable as he waited for the next orders. Not long later, his radio crackled. Three, this is one, over. Three, send. One, HQ wants you to tag the camp with a beacon. How copy. Wolf cursed inwardly as he heard the order. Three, confirm tag beacon, over. Affirmative. Wolf sighed and peeked around the location before he replied. Three, camp security is too tight. Might not be able to drop beacon on target. One... As long as Beacon is within a hundred meters of campsite, wait for distraction. Over. Three. Roger. Wolf started to crawl away slowly forward and rolled himself into the next cover as he made his way closer to the camp. He stayed low and wondered what they were going to do to distract the enemy. One. Distraction in three. Two. One. Mark. Suddenly, Wolf felt the gown shake slightly before, followed by a loud boom in the distance. Immediately, like a hive of angry ants, the Imperial sentries turned their attention to the sudden explosion, and Wolf quickly made use of the opportunity to sneak in closer to the camp. He hugged the trees and stuck to the shadows as he came to the edge of the camp. He eyed the trees somewhat near the large cluster of tents, which the Imperials came boiling out of the tents in full armor. One, second distraction in three, two, one, mark. Another thunder rumbled in the distance, and the distraction had the Imperials occupied, allowing Wolf to sneak into the camp and allowing him to reach the tree that he judged to be the easiest to climb. He quickly climbed up the tree and soon disappeared into the branches. He gently snapped off a long branch and climbed to the topmost branch of the tree, which could support his weight. He took out the beacon and triggered it before using a rope to bound the beacon to the end of the tree branch and broke earlier. He pushed a branch with the beacon at the end of the tree's canopy before securing it with the rope. Three to one, beacon up, please check. One, Roger, stand by. Over a kilometer in the air above the space of operations, the aiding LI droned on as performed its last air surveillance mission before getting decommissioned. Its electronic smart brain chip peeped happily as it watched over the sea of featureless forest. Suddenly, a signal appeared and blinked steadily in the sea of forest and the ally turned its sensors to cover it. It identified the signal and deemed it to be a friendly beacon while it streamed live footage over to the control station, dozens and dozens of kilometers away. A string of binary code was transmitted over the, from control, telling it to keep an eye on the beacon. The UAV chipped and beeped and acknowledged as it tilted its silent quadrupeds to drifting over the beacon and started hovering over the area and streaming all the data back. One, three, good signal, pull out now. Three, Roger, Wolf replied and started the slow climb down the tree. He looked around his surroundings and noticed no one. He dropped softly from the tree and quickly rolled to the shadows of a nearby tent. He waited and observed his surroundings before he made his move again creeping from one shadow to another. As he reached the edge of the camp, he froze in place as he heard the stomp of boots approaching. Dozens of soldiers were returning from the post after they deemed the sudden explosions in the distance to be unthreatening to their camp. With no cover in sight and only the shadow of the tents, Wolf flattened himself as low as he could. 
He couldn't use any magic to hide, as it might trigger any form of magical intruder detection spells. Wolf kept still as possible and forced his frantically beating heart to calm down as he watched dozens of soldiers walk past him. Finally, what seemed like an eternity, the Imperial soldiers walked by without noticing him and returned to their tents. Feeling relieved, he climbed to his feet as he stepped out between the tents. He knocked into a body. Instinctively, he shot at his hand and grabbed the person by the throat in a chokehold. As he held down the person, he felt the person was grabbing too very thin and wearing a collar of salts. He quickly dragged the body away into the trees while making sure no one noticed them before he checked that he had grabbed. To his surprise, he saw it was a beast girl with a slave choker. Under the dim torches of the camp, he noticed that the beast slave was all skin and bones and had wounds all over her body. Wolf sighed as he wondered what should he do. He drew out his combat knife and placed the blade against the thin threadbare tunic that she was wearing, right under the ribs where the blade would strike her heart. He steeled himself for the task but hesitated before he kept the blade away. Damn it! He hissed softly and lifted the unconscious girl up from a fireman's carry. He couldn't force himself to kill an unarmed innocent. Three to all, on my way out, plus one, requesting cover. One, three, come again, plus one, three, affirmative, plus one. One, roger, head to extraction point beta, the others will cover your retreat, out. The girl was surprisingly light as Wolf picked his way across the forest, dodging sentries and trying to stay hidden while carrying another person on his back. He was so going to get schooled by Tyria once they made the extraction for bringing back an extra luggage. One to all, fire mission inbound and five mics, stay clear of target area. No crap, Wolf cursed as he picked up the pace. He ignored all stealth as he sought to get as far away from the beacon which he had placed in HQ was going to artillery strike right on top of it. Who goes there? Suddenly a voice broke the silence of the night as an imperial sentry heard the passing in the forest. Wolf increased his pace, hoping that the sentry might mistake him for a wild animal in the forest. But his luck failed as the suddenly balls of illumination spells burst into existence around him, nearly blinding him with his night vision on. He yanked off his night vision goggles and kept on running as the bright white illumination spell lit his way for him, while the trees cast an ominous shadows around him. Intruder! Intruder! Four, three, keep running, I got him on my sights! With their cover blown, the men of Claymore 1, providing overwatch, started sniping at any sentries and Imperials that appeared, covering Wolf's retreat. One to all, take cover. Incoming! End of chapter. Chapter 384 So Interesting Northern Front, two kilometers away from the city of Fornledge, the forward Imperial picket jolted awake suddenly from his sleep as it grabbed his weapon in panic. For a moment, he was disoriented, and he scanned his surroundings before he calmed down. Dal returned his sword to the scabbard and took a sip of his water skin to quench his dry throat. Scratching his head, Dal wondered what had woken him up when he had heard the low rumbling in the distance coming from the city's side, and instantly he was on alert. He crawled out of the hidey hole and made his way to the edge of the forest cautiously, he frowned when surprised as he noticed that there was a row of lights beyond the city, and those lights appeared to be moving at a rapid pace. The more he watched, the more the lights more baffling he became. The lights appeared to be moving in pairs and mounted on some kind of screechless wagon that was moving quite fast for their size. 
He managed to catch a shadowy glimpse of the wagons when the lights of those wagons in the rear shone on them. Dal felt a sense of supernatural unease at the way that these wagons were traveling. First, it was those flying crosses that caused fear and confusion with the egg bombs, and now these wagons that could move without the pull of a land dragon. He might not be a knight of the Order of Shadows, but he was still an official member of it. Yet, the magic of the knights appeared to pale in comparison to the demonic abilities of these rebels. He whispered a chant and curled his fingers up and peered through them as a farseer spell came into effect. The spell immediately brought the moving wagons to his eyes, and he counted the number of wagons moving. One, two, five, ten, twelve, fifteen... Those fifteen wagons suddenly came to a halt, and dark figures illuminated by the strange bright light spilled out. Dell noted that the wagons had formed up in a simple formation, and suddenly the lights went out, leaving a bob of white and devil's vision. Dell blinked, his eyes rapidly to clear his vision, before he returned to observing the enemy. But, without the lights, the rebels had vanished into the darkness. Dell thought for a while before he returned to his hideout and started grabbing his gear. He should go and report this incident back in camp. The rebels must be planning some kind of attack. So he stared at his way back to camp. A loud shrieking roar erupted behind him. He froze in his steps as he ducked instinctively from the continuous roaring. It was unlike any beast nor monster cry he had ever heard before. He quickly turned and ran back to the forest edge to see what creature was making the sound. Dal's eyes widened in horror as he stepped out of the forest to see the monster. It was those rebels' wagons that were screaming and flashing of flames and trails of sparks that were roaring into the skies. What kind of dark magic was that? Outskirts of the Order of the Shadow Campsite, Wolf panted as he hoisted the unconscious girl tighter into his grip. The Imperial sentries were relentless in their pursuit. In front of him, Hitsu slid to a halt and drew a wet forest floor with a smoothly pivoted to suppress fire around and there were a couple of thuds from his weapon as he laid down covering fire. Come on! Altiered waved at them from the next tree line. Move it, soldier! Incoming! Someone yelled. Wolf wasn't sure who it was as his attention turned to the sudden shrieking rockets flying over his head. Take cover! Order of the Shadows Campsite so the rebels found us, the joker slipped his breastplate and frowned when he noticed that it was not his usual slave doing the buckling for him. Where is she? My, 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 my master, the slave dropped to her knees and stammered. I, I don't, no, don't, no, 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 my master. Scram, he kicked the slave away and finished tightening the straps himself. Find her, yes, master, the slave quickly scampered away. Thos stood there without a word at the side till the slave exited the tent before he spoke. It'll be as so. Our sentries and soldiers are in pursuit now. Tell the men to back up the camp now. The joker turned and faced the stoic knight. We will shift the camp now. Thos gave a bow and returned out of the tent to carry out his orders, but he suddenly paused and looked at the skies and tilted his head as he heard something strange. The joker eyed Thos's behavior and frowned as his eyes widened and he yelled, Bring up the barriers! The 2.75-inch or 70-millimeter diameter fin-stabilized unguided rocket screamed happily through the air at a speed of 723 meters per second. Its high-explosive dual-purpose warhead was packed with 0.91 kilograms of high-explosives and together with its Haven-made MK6 rocket motor weighed a total of 4 kilograms. 
Originally designed for the Air Force's rocket pods, the 70mm rocket found itself mounted onto a converted half-tracks, turning them into short-range missile carriers. It had been proven to be very versatile in its uses. The rocket motor spewed flames in the smoke out of its consumed its solid fuel, thrusting the eager rocket towards its projected impact zone with a force of 5,938.4 newtons. Unlike the AIM-32H Space Sparrow multipurpose missiles, the 70mm rockets do not have the smart chip. The rockets were instead fired based on a computer-calculated maths. The rockets themselves were not very accurate, despite the computer-calculated trajectory. It was calculated that the 70mm rockets had an error margin of plus-minus 10 meters for every kilometer. Now, they were firing at a target which was roughly 3 kilometers away, giving the 70mm rockets an error margin of 30 meters. With 5 batteries of SRMs firing 98 rockets each, a total of 490 rockets screamed madly towards their target area like falling stars in the night sky. In the end of terms of accuracy, it did not really matter when 490 rocket bodies slammed into the ground within seconds and the entire area of 2 kilometers square exploded. Wolf cursed when he felt the gods had unleashed the fury on the earth, the deafening roars and shrieks erupted around him. The ground trembled madly and the overpressure of the air slammed into the cover of that huddled downslope. Fuck this! Itzu screamed as he hugged the helmet tightly. Bits and pieces of debris rained down over them and after a short while, the shaking stopped but their ears continued to ring. What a rush! Itsu laughed as he patted himself, checking all of his body parts were still intact. Everyone okay? Wolf gave a thumbs up as he laid on his back. He checked the beast girl and found her still breathing, and other than her old wounds, she appeared to be fine. He rolled himself up and peered back at the enemy camp, and only saw a partially flattened forest devastated by fire and smoke. Well, fark me. Itsu cursed as he aimed his rifle down at the site camp. Looks like we got survivors. Wolf frowned and too cursed inwardly as he saw the telltale glow of magical barriers. We must have some high-level mages down there. Call for another strike, Altier checked his weapon. I'd like to see how many they can tank another barrage of rockets. Great idea. It's a grin, there back, and tapped on his radio comms. One, this is five. Good splash, request another splash over. One, stand by. All right, let's get the hell out of here, Altier said before he questioned Wolf. Why did you bring the girl along? I, um, she just appeared before me, Wolf lamely replied. She looks pitiful, so I decided to save her. Better get her in a mage tech to check over for any tracking or branding magic when we get back, Itsu said, and she's your baggage. Wolf nodded as he lifted her up again and the fireman's carry, and they started their way back. One to all, fire mission in twelve mics out. Well, let's hope the blue boys continue to stay there for the next barrage, Itsu grinned. I'm sure they will love it. The Joker screamed in rage and pain as the healers carefully peeled the remains of the melted spider silk tunic off his back. His torched armor laid in a heap on the side while his exposed back was charred red like a side of roasted meat. Clear fluid flowed off the peeled flesh as the healers quickly cast healing spells that regenerated his cooked flesh. The burned flesh on his back peeled off bit by bit as new flesh grew painfully. My lord, the healer held out a red crystal, a vial of healing. Please drink this, it'll heal your internal wounds. The joker grabbed the vial and snapped off the tip with his thumb before downing the whole bottle. He flung the crystal vial away to the side and he hissed at the act. 
his back muscles screaming in pain. My lord, you need to be gentler, the healer quickly reminded him. You need to rest for at least a week before you can do any vigorous activities. Ah. The joker stood up and roared the healer's words. I'm fine now, just some pain. But, um, the healer wanted to say some more but was cut off. Enough, the joker growled. Go see to the others. The healer bowed and picked up the tools and left. Thos appeared to his side in a set of new armor, raising the joker's eyebrows as he took it in. How in the heavens did you get another set of armor? I got spares, Thos gave a simple reply, making the joker roll his eyes. What is our situation? he asked as he picked up a bottle of wine from the ruins of the tent and took a swill out of it. He spat the warm wine out and tossed the bottle away. Ugh, gross. Our situation is not good, Thos said. Our barrier stones are all but depleted from the starfire. More than half of the men were killed and another half was suffering from various degrees of injury. Thos reported. Also, most of our mounts are gone. Those that remain had gone mad and we had to put them down. Is there any good news, right? The joker made a grimace as he slipped the relatively unscathed tunic from the remains of his luggage. No, Thos replied. I advise we leave now before the rebels follow up the attack. The joker sighed. All right, let's go. Make sure to bring the barrier stones along too. Those things cost me a castle. Thos nodded and left to carry out his orders. The corner of the joker's lips slowly rose as he looked around at the destruction. How interesting. This makes me so curious as to how they created such a spell of destruction. If it wasn't for the barrier stones, no one would be alive at all. The power of the stones could actually block dozens and dozens of high-level spells before its power depleted. Yet, the spell rain from the skies was a hundred times more potent than any spell he'd ever witnessed. Too bad his stones had to be grounded on the earth and formations drawn around them to be used. If not, he would have used the barrier stones to force his way into the city. Maybe the general was defeated by a similar spell, hence there was no news from his side. The war is starting to get more and more interesting, thought the Joker as he smiled. This is so interesting. End of chapter. And that, my friends, is the end of this video. I hope that you enjoyed if you did, please consider supporting the channel. There are numerous links down below. The easiest way would be to share this video and this channel to as many people as possible to help this channel grow. Your support is very much appreciated. And I will see you all in the next video. Cheers.